Jesus says in John 20 today, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Peace be with you. As the Father sent... (laughs) Thank you. That's awesome. Peace be with you. Yes, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Today, friends, today we proclaim the immediate availability of the Holy Spirit. God is creating a people born in love who can discern God's presence and proclaim God's peace. Let's pray. Father, uh, we are your people and uh, we pray again that you would blow fresh wind over us, stir up in us new creation, life, a light on us like fire and kindle our hearts to hear your voice. Stir in us faithfulness, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The Breakfast Club is a film that came out in 1985. John Hughes film, sort of the quintessential 80s brat pack film. And it tells the story of five teenagers at an Illinois high school. Anybody seen this film? Yeah? It tells the story of five teenagers in Illinois high school who all spend one Saturday in detention. And these five teenagers come from all walks of life. There's the popular girl. She's played by Molly Ringwald. Claire, the rebel troublemaker, John, played by Judd Nelson. The wrestling, the wrestler who's a jock, Andy, played by Emilio Estevez. The, the bookish nerd, Brian, played by Anthony Michael Hall. And then there's the quiet outcast introvert, Allison, played by Ali Sheedy. And the entire film takes place on a spring Saturday morning as these five teens are forced to sit in silence from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. in the library all day. And at the end of the day, they're to turn in a thousand-word essay on the subject, who you think you are. Five people, five walks of life, nine hours in a library, what could go wrong, right? Well, the hostilities and indifferences among them and between them kind of simmer all day. Uh, some ignore it. Uh, some uh, feel ashamed uh, by it. Some take verbal shots at each other. At one point, a fight, a fist fight almost breaks out. But as they sit in this room together, quiet, not moving, and talk, their common, we could say, affliction of being in detention together brings them together. They've all got this thing they hate in common, this suffering, this detention. So they begin to open up, and each of them, in turn, shares a little bit of their life story. And they discover that the jock and the nerd and the outcast and the rebel and the popular girl, that they do have things in common. In their stories, they share that they all have secrets that make them feel ashamed. One is a compulsive liar. 
One is an insecure about making decisions for themselves. They also all reveal that they have issues with their parents, bad relationships with their parents. This was the 80s. Everybody had bad relationships with their parents in the 80s. So uh, what we see in the Breakfast Club, this picture of American life in the 20th century, is that underneath these external differences of their cliques, there's a commonality that opens up. And they begin to see how alike they are. They're going through a common affliction, and they have sort of a common story of secrets, shameful secrets and bad relationships with their parents. Additionally, just to sort of seal the deal in terms of binding this group together, there's a bad guy in the film, the assistant principal, assistant principal Richard Vernon, who's just cranky. He's just cranky in the movie. And the, the, the five of them are able to bond together because not only do they have a common affliction and common stories, but now they have a common enemy. So they band together, they make it to the end of the day, they survive the long detention, they find out who they really are, they stick it to the man, <laughs> they overcome their stereotypes and prejudices that divide them. Now some of us are in high school now, or grade school, junior high, and there's still these groups, right? There's the popular girls, the jocks, although it typically isn't the wrestlers who are the jocks, but you know, the jocks. You know, the nerds, the outcasts, introverts, and the, uh, the rebels, right? Uh, <clears throat> we, and as adults, we have sort of uh, taken those labels and, and made them a little less stereotypical, a little less caricatured, but we still have them in our neighborhoods, even in fishers, right? Affinity groups, you could say. There's, there's a, uh, and this is what the Breakfast Club shows us, right? That, that birds of a feather flock together. Especially when there's a common enemy to unite around. So we live in a world, friends, that, that brings us together around affinity and affliction. Affinity being things we have in common. Affliction being we both hate this person. <laughs> or we're both stuck in detention. Make sense? We see this in silly ways with sport team rivalries, right? Cards and Cubs or Fishers High School and Hamilton Southeastern High School. 90210 versus Melrose Place. Mallory. <laughs> but, also, but also, friends, uh, I want to suggest this is the main way that our world knows how to build and sustain community. Create common likeness so we can gather around. An interest, right? An, a, a label, a click. Or create a common affliction. So if we can label that person is the enemy that we're against. doesn't matter how different we are. That'll bind us together. You've heard the adage, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah. Our world binds together around affliction and affinity. And the Breakfast Club actually 
reveal, it shows that, it, it does that, but then it points a way forward. It hints at a possibility beyond affinity and affliction, and that is affection. And it just hints at it, right? Because uh, in, the, in the movie, uh, John the Rebel and Claire the Popular Girl, they pair up, and there's this really poignant 80s scene. You have to grow up in the 80s to really get this, but like Claire gives John her earring, and he like puts it in his ear, you know? <laughs> it's like, oh, they must, they, it must be love. Uh, and and the, the, the jock, Andy, and the introvert, Allie, they, they, they kind of pair up. So there's, there's like this hint of like affection happening that, that transcends affinity and affliction. But today, today, friends, on Pentecost, we proclaim that the Holy Spirit births in us what the breakfast club only hints at. In a world, in a world of affinity groups or antagonistic groups, we proclaim the possibility of being united in affection for one another and the world. Pentecost is the birthing of a community that can unify us not simply based upon common affinities or common enemies, but on a common love. Today we proclaim the immediate availability of the Holy Spirit. God is creating a new people, united in love, who can discern God's presence and proclaim God's peace. Let's look at two texts today. We're going to look at John 20 and Acts 2. These are both super long. Pentecost is one of those things that comes every year. If you stick it out, <laughs> if you're here next year, you hear another sermon on Pentecost, one of those things. So we don't have to say everything about Pentecost that we, that we could say. We're just going to proclaim good news to us today. Good news about this community of affection. So John 20 and Acts 2, I'll kind of jump in between both of them. They're not that far in your Bibles. You can it's like two pages away. You can flip back and forth if you like to. <laughs> um, so uh, Pentecost is all about creating a people who can discern God's presence and proclaim God's peace. So let's look at those three things. The people, the presence, and the peace. Pentecost, uh, the people, creating a people who are united in love, uh, aff- affection, affection. Pentecost is often called the birthday of the church. Um, And the reason it's called that is because the spirit is taken from one place, the temple or Jesus, or in our numbers reading today, Moses, and it's given to everyone. So we see in both these readings, in John 20, the people are gathered in a room, they're afraid. Mary has proclaimed the resurrection, they're still afraid, they're behind locked doors, hiding from Jews, Jesus comes in, proclaims peace, shows the scars. They're filled with joy. He gives them authority and they go out with the authority to forgive sins. In Acts 2, we see a similar move, right? We see people in a, gathered in a house, a small group together in one place. The spirit comes, then, then it goes from a few to many people hearing, I don't know how many languages Deb wrote, read like 18, 19 languages. And it goes from a few to to lots of languages to at the end of Acts 2, which we didn't read today, 3,000 people being saved. Pentecost is this move from private, secluded, exclusive to public, connected, inclusive. 
It's a spreading, a sharing, a bursting forth. The people God creates goes beyond affinity or affliction. It's not just the people who are afraid or the people who get it. We're not bound together by our fear what the Jews are going to do to us. The, the enemies are the Jews, and so we're going to, that's what brings us together here today. Or we get it. Like, we're the group worshiping after Jesus died. Like, we get, we, we've been doing this for 40 days now, so we get, like, Awana points for this. But beyond commonalities and a common enemy, the people of God are birthed by a deep, affection for God and one another. Today, the good news is that the Holy Spirit is immediately available to us, birthing a people of God, not based upon who we like or who we're against, but based upon everyone. Everyone is invited in to be united in love, to discern God's presence and proclaim God's peace. Uh, Sharon and I went to Michigan City this past weekend Memorial Day weekend, and hung out with some college friends of ours. Five of our four of my fraternity brothers, their wives and kids. We all stayed in this house that wasn't big enough for 30 people, but we were all there. And we were bound together by this common experience of being in a fraternity in college. Yes, I was in a fraternity in college. It's a different time and place, and it was, it's a, that's another sermon. So um, we have this history, we have this common affinity of being linked by this fraternal identification. We have common story together. Um, but what's happened over the last, what is it now? Jimmy, it's almost 20 years. Over the last 20 years is there's a lot of differences that have begun to emerge in our group. Right? Lots of differences. And if you sit long enough, and you get past sort of making the jokes and playing the music and playing the games and you begin to have conversations, those differences begin to emerge. And what's striking is in a community outside that's based on affinity or having a common like or common enemy, when those differences emerge, it creates tension and crisis. Do I really want to be with these people anymore? if they're not like me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so after, at the end of two and a half days, you're like, this was great. Let's, I'll, I'll see you next year. <laughs> what, time we, what time do we get to leave? But friends, Pentecost creates a different kind of community. A community that can bear difference. That goes deeper than like. And that actually transforms the enemy into someone who's invited in. God is creating a people united in love, a deep affection with and for one another who can discern God's presence and proclaim God's peace. Second, we can talk about discerning God's presence here. In John 20, what happens is Jesus walks in, he breathes on them. It's a fascinating picture. So much to say about breath in scripture, but we don't have time. And what's, fa- what's, what's fascinating is <laughs> they're scared. They're afraid. He stands among them, peace be with you. And he shows them his hands and his side. And then he breathes on them and we're told that they were filled with joy. 
there's this process of discerning the presence of Jesus. In all these resurrection appearances, what's striking to me is that they don't immediately discern it's Jesus. God's presence, even Jesus' physical resurrected presence, isn't immediately, duh. It has to be discerned. It has to be discovered. It has to be perceived. In John 20, it's perceived through the scars. Do you notice that? The scars. They see the scars and they're like, yes. And they're filled with joy. In Acts 2, we have this wind and fire. John 20 is breath, wind, fire. All these are images of God's judgment, which is a good thing. God's judging the world in righteousness here and saying, I'm giving my presence to everyone. <laughs> it's a good thing. Fire's purification. Water's purification. Breath, wind, all this is purification. And Peter stands up and helps the Jews discern God's presence. You think they're drunk. Let me discern this for you. This is Joel coming at you. Right here, right now. The end of all times has begun. God's kingdom is on earth. The Jews had this hope. And this is why Herod rebuilt the temple. It took him 40 years to rebuild the temple. Most faithful Jews did not like Herod. He was, um, he was, a, he was, he was really scary and awful. This guy was awful. But he wanted the Jews to honor him as the Messiah. And he knew that the Messianic hope was the Messiah will rebuild the temple. And when the temple's rebuilt, God's presence will return. And so he, le he leveraged everything on rebuilding this temple. What happens in Acts 2 is we see that God rebuilds this temple. And he rebuilds this temple in his people. And Peter stands up and says, let me discern God's presence for you. It's among us now. This is the temple Joel talked about, which is the spirit indwells not stones made by human hands, but living stones made by God's hands. I'm sitting on our back porch yesterday, sitting in this new chair. I got one of those new zero gravity chairs. You know what I mean? You guys know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Oh, they're just, they're, they're delightful. And, I'm, and uh, I got it like super cheap and it came and I set it up and I, I'm like, I love my super cheap zero gravity chair. And I realized, oh, it's, oh, I know why it's super cheap. It's black. And so like, if, as long as the temperature is under like 74 degrees, you can sit in it. But once it gets too hot, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, a spa sauna chair. Um, anyway, I'm sitting in my zero gravity chair, having my moment of, you know, bliss. And, and Deacon uh, my son says to me, Dad, how do, how do I know that I'm a Christian? And about 13% of me was, uh, inside was like, bro, just let me enjoy my zero-gravity chair. <laughs> uh, the other 87% of me was really excited uh, that, that my son would ask me this. Now, he, he wants to get baptized. He's going to be baptized this August, um, if we ever set a date for that. <laughs> but I found myself telling him, I asked him, why, why, why are you asking this? He said, well, sometimes I don't feel like a Christian. And sometimes I make choices that Christians shouldn't make. And I found myself describing to him that what 
what being a Christian is about is being committed to discerning God's presence in your life and paying attention to it and following it. This is essentially what we do in our, our DNA groups. Yeah, those of you who are in our sort of discipleship groups, you know that we're training to, to perceive and be aware of, no, these people aren't drunk. This is God's spirit. Or there's a scar. That's Jesus. There's some joy here. Pentecost reminds us, friends, of the immediate availability of the Holy Spirit that creates a people based in love, a deep affection for one another so, so they can discern God's presence and proclaim God's peace. So proclaiming God's peace, number three, Jesus says flat out, straight up, peace be with you. This is the definitive gospel proclamation. And the authority that comes with that is to forgive sins, right? Those sins you forgive are forgiven. Those sins you don't forgive are not forgiven. In Acts 2, Peter proclaims that God has acted to bring the new creation now, right? And this peace, this peace is a, is a unifying, harmonizing, relational shalom. It's bringing people together, not splitting people up. It's forgiveness is you are now included. You are now the thing that kept you out no longer keeps you out. So peace brings more in. So, so this, is, this is why uh, we live in a world, friends, where um, we really resonate with this breakfast club mentality. It's so easy to bound together as a community if we've got an assistant principal, Vernon, that we can hate together. It's so easy to bind together in community if we, if we all look the same, shop at the same place, vote for the same politician, have the same aged kids. It's so easy. But God's peace makes a community made up of all these languages. All these languages. And they have to learn how to love each other in the midst of difference. For some reason, my wife uh, attracts energetic, pushy salesmen when I'm not home. I, I, about once a month, somebody shows up on our front door trying to sell my wife something. And she's typically, well, one time she spent $60. That doesn't happen anymore. Uh, but uh, typically, <laughs> uh, typically, she's entertained by these people. And so she texted me the other day uh, that this, this guy showed up who reminds her of a, a friend we have, and he was selling insect control. And she, and she tells, anybody else, anybody, anybody else get insect control? <laughs> okay, this guy. So uh, he's been making the rounds. Um, was he entertaining? Yes. Yes. <clears throat> did, did, anyone, did anyone buy the insect control? Okay, okay. Uh, so anyway, my wife is entertained by this guy, and he, go, he goes on this huge spiel. He's got all the right things. He's naming all these neighbors and who he's already going to do this stuff for. This is his thing. And uh, he can give you a discount, bulk discount. I'm being in the neighborhood anyway. I've got this extra stuff. I don't want to throw it away. I'll give it to you for 70% off. And Sharon, uh, my wife's pretty good at sort of, I mean, I'd be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Bugs are awful, and oh, you're such a nice guy. But my wife is, <clears throat> she doesn't really fall for that kind of stuff. So she's just telling me how funny and charming and, and silly this man is and how uh, he rem, 
uh, reminds her of a friend we have. And I was thinking about this, this proclamation of peace that we bring and how, and how often we confuse our proclamation of peace with uh, insect control salesman pitch. Friends, our proclamation of peace is not a sales pitch. We're not strong-arming or coercing or trying to figure out how to close the deal with people who really don't have a bug problem. (laughs) It's not a join-the-club membership. Here's the benefits of joining, right? Rather, the proclamation of peace that we see Jesus do in John 20 and we see Peter do in Acts 2 is simply this. Hey, this has happened. And there's a new possibility, a new way of living that's available to you. You want to learn how to follow this? You want to learn how to become a person of peace? You want to know how to discern God's presence? Because I got three of your friends right now who are doing it, and if you get in there, I can... (laughs) Friends, we're not pitching. It's not a membership to a club. We are simply offering the immediate availability of God's presence to create a people who can bear the love to proclaim the peace. That's our good news today, friends. So how will we respond to this good news? Pentecost is the good news that we we can be a people beyond affinity or affliction, united in deep affection, who can discern God's presence and proclaim God's peace. How do we respond to this today? Well, I'm sitting in Michigan City um, having a moment with just Sharon and my kids. Um, This is last Sunday on the beach and Sharon and I are kind of discussing like these relationships that are we're kind of trading on capital from 20 years ago a bit. He has not friends like this. And my friend Sean calls me from South Carolina. Now I don't have time to tell you all about Sean, but all you need to know about Sean is um, he is a, a repo man, bounty hunter, bail bondsman. He's about as different from me as you can get, I think, and still be a, a, a bipedal hominid. Uh, <laughs> um, and he calls me from his pool in South Carolina and says, hey, when are you going to come visit me? And immediately, sitting on this beach, I'm telling you, friends, like, um, being with Sean can be hard work because we don't share affinity. He's, he's, got, he's got things about what he likes and what he believes that are either not what I like and believe, or deeply offensive to me. Like there's a spectrum, and, it, he, and he goes all of them. The people that Sean hates, I don't hate. In fact, the people that Sean hates, I actually really like some of those people. But I love this man. Love him. And as I sat there on the beach... Sharon and I were like, we could go to Holiday World and pay 600 bucks for our kids to drink unlimited Coke for two days. Or we could go visit Sean and Beth. 
So one of the, one of the ways that Pentecost is getting at work in our life is, is we've discerned God's presence in our relationship with Sean and his girlfriend, Beth. That God is at work there, deeply ministering to our kids and our family, but also to Sean and Beth. And so we're going to go see Sean and Beth. Because God's uniting Sean and I together in a deep affection. And there's always opportunities when I'm with him to discern God's presence and proclaim God's peace. Friends, how do we need to respond to this today as a church? I'll just tell you, as a church planner, it's, it's, it is, I can't even, I mean, you, know, you probably know this, it is so easy to plan a church based upon affinity. And if you, could, if you can marry affinity with affliction, so not only do we all like this, but let me tell you about all the people we're not like and why we're not like them. And then you can go, oh yeah, we are so much better than those people. And then we feel really good that we're here. Right? It's, that's, that's like so tempting and so easy. And I know we fail at this. And I know some of you like each other and that's okay. <laughs> like some of us have affinity and that's okay. But it's so easy just to stop there, isn't it? Just be complacent with that. But as a church, friends, we don't want to position ourselves as an affinity group. I mean, we wouldn't be Anglican if that was the case. <laughs> we're not trying to feed off an antagonism. We're, tr- we're trying to bind together in love. To, be- to become a new people who can discern God's presence and proclaim God's peace in our world. Our world desperately needs that. So let's take a moment, friends. Where... Where are you uh, noticing? Where are you noticing that it's hard for you to discern God's presence? (laughs) Maybe a relationship or a situation at work or your neighborhood. Maybe your marriage. Maybe your relationship with your parents. Maybe you have a dog that poops everywhere and you're trying to find, it's hard, it's hard to have where, where is God's presence in this? Friends, where, where are you aware that needs this message of peace? And by peace, it is God is uniting all things in Jesus. There is forgiveness and reconciliation available to you today. Where, do you, where does hostility exist? Where does enmity exist? Where are you angry, anxious? Where are you divided? Just take a few seconds, friends. Where do we need to discern presence as a church or you discern presence, God's presence as an individual and proclaim God's peace? Just take a moment and ask the Lord, where do you want Pentecost to get personal with me today?